So, well, let's jump in. Um, we only got two verses, but as y'all know, it that could take forever. But uh, <laughs> I hope not. Um, I, I'll, we're, we're not going to wrap up chapter 8 of Romans tonight. Uh, but I do want to wrap up this, this third section in, in, in the subdividing of chapter 8. And um, we, we've dealt with the first 11 verses being um, a, a, a titled Life in the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And then verse 12 through 17 is a focus on debtors made heirs. And then we've been looking at for a few weeks now, uh, on that third subsection that we could divide it up into, and that is uh, verse 18 to verse number 30, the anticipation of promised glory. And, um, and so we've gotten through uh, A, B, C, and D, and we have uh, letter E left. And so I want to wrap up verse number 29 and verse number 30 tonight, and just a, a very quick uh, wrap over with this. Um, letter A was a comparison, verse, verse 18 uh, through 21, as a comparison of the present situation and future glorification. And then uh, um, letter B was verse number 22 and 23, and the evidence of the curse of sin and how that is, is just painfully evident uh, through the sufferings that not only uh, the world and creation itself, but even the child of God um, deals with. Then, uh, then letter C uh, was uh, the, what, the question of what is hope, uh, seen in verse number 24 and 25, the reality of, of hope and the result of hope. And, uh, and then letter D was uh, last Wednesday in how verse number 26, 27, and 28, um, how we see our helper, our intercessor, and also our confidence uh, that comes there in, in verse number uh, 28, uh, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And so we looked at and saw that the confidence the child of God can have, uh, mainly because we know who our helper is, the helper in life and helper in prayer, but then also that the intercessor, not only the Holy Spirit making intercession, but also for Jesus Christ himself interceding for us. Um, but, uh, but now we come to the, the last little uh, breakdown of uh, this third section of, of chapter 8. And that is this, uh, if you want to give letter E um, a, a heading, it would be our purpose found in his preeminence. Okay, Our purpose found in his preeminence. Uh, the Lord is, and again, there are, there are words used, we... we dealt with some of this in, in when we talked about the idea of predestination and, and um, some, some wrong teachings that come through all of that. Uh, but, uh, but we must understand that we serve a God who is preeminent, and He is all-knowing, and, and He is in control of all things. Now, is it, um, is it something that our feeble human minds can fully comprehend? Well, no. Again, if I could comprehend God, there would take no faith. Um, and and it, it, let's put it this way. If, if I could wrap my head around who God is completely and all there is to know about him, he wouldn't be very big and he really wouldn't be much for me to place my faith and trust in if I could figure him out. 
as a whole, I can't even figure me out half the time. So it's a good thing I can't figure him out or we'd be in trouble. Um, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. And it's because he is so far beyond us that it takes faith to believe that which we cannot fully comprehend. God is, is so much more than, than what we could wrap our minds around. And this is just one area of evidence for it. Um, how do you equate free will with God's preeminence and total control? I mean, how do you find the balance and, and, and make sense out of a God who already knows who will, but yet gives the allowance of us to choose? Well, I can't, that, is, that doesn't make any sense. I, I can't rationalize that. Well, since when does this Bible ever teach that God works according to man's rationalizing? We want to rationalize everything. We want to qualify everything. We want to be able to uh, uh, put down. And listen, I understand when it comes to a bank statement, you know, you, you want to be able to, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Balance, but there, there's another word to it. Um, reconcile, there it is, the reconcile. Uh, same, same type word, bigger, bigger terms. Uh, but you, you want to, you know, when it comes to a, a bank statement every single month, you want to be able to reconcile down to the last penny and know where everything went. I mean, that, that is the, really the only right way to go about it if you want to know for sure that you can make an account of everything. You want to be able to fully reconcile. Well, when it comes to God, we can't fully reconcile every single aspect of who he is and what he can do or how an all-knowing God, how do I reconcile the fact that an all-knowing God can yet, though he knows whether or not I will or won't accept him, he gives me the opportunity to make the choice. He already knows what choice I'm going to make. So who actually is in control? As a whole, I am. Because he gave me free will to choose him. Just because he knows what it is that, that I will do doesn't mean that he interferes in the moment he already knows, but it's because he knows the choice that I have made, not because he knows what he made me, the choice he made me make. He knows what I would choose, but he doesn't force me to choose it. You say, I can't fully reconcile and, and put all that together in my head. Well, some things we weren't meant to figure every bit of it out. And when God is in, involved, and when it comes down to his preeminence, when it comes down to his knowledge, when it comes down to, to all that, that he has designed, the answer simply is, if I know him from what the Bible teaches me, if I know of him what the, what the Bible shows me of my God, and I know of me what the Bible teaches me I am, then I should automatically know there is no chance uh, in this life whatsoever, that I'm ever going to fully comprehend him. Therefore, by faith, I have to trust him. And I have to believe that he has placed within his word what I need to understand to the best of the ability he gives me, which is why, by the way, uh, be careful listening to people telling you the Bible is so hard to understand uh, first thing you need to find out is somebody who's going to tell you, well, I wouldn't read that book. It's too difficult to understand. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't read a King James Bible. You can't understand anything being said in there. I number one, ask them how many times they've actually read it. 
Number two, you might want to find out whether or not they're saved. Because the Bible says the Spirit teaches us. And if they don't contain the Spirit of God, then they are a lost person trying to understand a heavenly book. They have not the teacher living within them. Which would be, for some, a very telltale sign of why it is this book makes no sense and it's useless to them. Without the Holy Spirit, there, there will be a lot of things that are completely misunderstood and not able to comprehend. But may I say, even as a child of God, sometimes there are some things that are difficult to understand. Not impossible, but there are some things more difficult to understand than others because it's going to require that I am willing to dig and read and study and search and pray and desire and be hungry and feed some more, digest it, feed some more, digest it, feed some more, let the Holy Spirit have something to work with. I'm getting a little on a tangent with this, but I'm just kind of laying a foundation to a degree. Most of the time, the reason people don't, cannot comprehend this book and they do, not, they do not want to really get into it and read it is because if they get right down to it, what they do know is if I truly want to understand it, I'm going to have to absorb myself in the Word of God. And I don't know that I want to put that much time I just want to read over stuff. I, I just want to go to the book of Proverbs and see a lot of a good little quotes and sayings that it helps me for that day. There's my verse for the day. Okay, I got it. Woohoo! Let's go. Most people want to live a shallow life with the word of God. Just give me a verse that gives me the power to go that day. I don't want to read it. I don't want to study it. I don't want to actually dig into it. That takes too much time. Just give me my power verse for the day. That's what I want. And they wonder why they have a hard time believing who God is and believing how God operates and trusting in his guidance because they, they, want, a, they want a magic potion. They don't want to truly dig and learn and grow in the word of God. Now, does it, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying if you get in, you dig, one day you're going to understand every single little aspect of the Bible. Listen, there are preachers who have studied this book for years and still have areas where they're like, Lord, that one just stumps me. Now, I've, I've been there. I've been with some of these uh, and I, I've been reading some passages of scripture I've read and read and read and read and read. And honestly, no matter what, I never could, never could quite grasp where that was going. So I keep going and I just, I find, I, I read other areas and the Lord gives me other things to study. Uh, there was one particular passage, don't have to go, time to go into all of it now, but one particular passage, one of the hardest passages, and uh, not even going to give it to you right now, but um, I, we were at a, a, a meeting as missionaries, and uh, the preacher that got up that day, he got up to preach, and he said to turn, turn to a passage, and we turned there, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, ooh, well, this ought to be interesting, because that's a... That, I've never understood exactly how all that ties in. It feels like it's just thrown in that, at that point right there. It doesn't even feel like it really fits with anything. It is, I've never fully understood. By the time he got done, I'm looking at it thinking, what an idiot I am. That is so simple. 
what was it? Well, when it was time, God showed somebody exactly, gave him wisdom, he studied it out, he did some comparisons, he put some things together, he tied together all this stuff that the Lord laid on his heart, and when he shared it, all of a sudden that passage came alive, and I'm like, oh, how could I not see that? And all of a sudden I realized, you see, it's, it's, not, it's not God making his word too hard to understand, it's our inability to comprehend, and sometimes it's, it's the time frame in which God wants us to comprehend it because he uses his word as a lively book all the time. Well, now that I've eaten up most of my time on things that weren't what we were going to talk about, looking at the preeminence of God in verse 29 and verse number 30, I want to, I want to show you very quickly how these two verses tie into what we've already been talking about, especially talking about verse number 26, 27, and 28. We come to verse number 29, the very first part of verse number 29, and what you see is that God has always known who will accept his salvation. Verse number 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So add those things together. Whom he did foreknow, that is, under, that, that, is, that is acknowledging the fact that God knows who is going to accept. Well, then you ask the question, well, if God knows who, then why didn't he just die for those whom he knew would? Because that would ultimately make John 3.16 and several other passages of Scripture a complete lie. Could he have died just for the people he knew? Well, yeah. But God offered salvation to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. For God so loved the world. And when it says, for God so loved the world, here's a unique, unique thought about John 3.16. When it says, for God so loved the world, he was talking about the world past, the world of that moment, and the world to come. For God so loved every single human being that would ever be born. Even the ones that aren't alive yet. For God so loved the world, the known world, to him, which there isn't a single life that has, is, or is going to live in the time frame of existence in, in, in this life before eternity. There's not a single person that has, is alive, or is going to be born that God's not already aware of. He knows every single one. And he died to offer forgiveness to every single one, but he already foreknew. He did know. Again, goes far beyond our understanding how one could know who it is that's going to accept the free gift and not limit it to just those people. But he did not limit salvation to just those whom he was aware of would accept it. He gives the opportunity to all, which by the way, that alone makes all men accountable for that which they had opportunity to receive. No one will stand before God with an excuse. We are all without excuse. How do we know? Because God died, Jesus Christ died for all. 
Therefore, there is no excuse if one rejects. But he, whom he did foreknow, that is his uh, knowledge of those w- who would accept. And, um, and, and one, one person put it this way, this exemplifies the uniqueness of God's ability to know the outcome, yet still allow mankind to have the free will to make the choice for themselves. It's a very unique thing, and uh, we wouldn't act that way, but that's why we're not God. But then the, the second part, God predetermined the purpose of his saints. The predestination is not salvation. The predestination is what happens as a result of salvation. Salvation is offered to all. No one is predestined by God and preset by God to receive salvation. He just foreknows who's going to. The predestination is God's intent for all of those that do receive salvation. He has a predetermined, predestined purpose. So we're not predestined to salvation. We're predestined to something happening as a result of salvation. In God's perfect plan, in God's perfect will, what is that predestined? So more... Moreover, whom, uh, I'm sorry, for whom he did foreknow, there's the knowledge. He also did predestinate. He gave a purpose to, to be conformed to the image of his son. That being conformed to the image of his son is the exact same for every single individual who receives Christ as their personal savior. He determined Before anyone received the free gift of salvation, he predetermined that his goal, his purpose, his desire for every single person that receives Christ as their Savior, his desire is that they all be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And... uh, and, the, the, uh, the last part of verse 29 says that he might be, who? Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. He is the only begotten son, but he is not the only son. That is why there is a distinct purpose for having a distinct uh, description of Jesus Christ. He is not the one and only son. I'm sorry, um, it, it, depending on what you're talking about, that, that phrase used in other translations uh, of the Bible into English is in great error because it makes it appear as though God's one and only son. Well, what happens to the passage that says that I have been granted the ability to be the son of God? Well, if I'm his son, then he can't have one and only son. Unless, of course, you mean his only begotten son. There's your difference. It's descriptive. And may I say, and and I'm not trying to be ugly in, in any way whatsoever, but that is the problem with this generation. It is, it is the very thing that is happening in every aspect of our life. This generation is all about erasing lines of things being descriptive and distinct. That's why the whole gender issue is an issue. Because they want to erase and blur the lines of distinction. 
That's why it is equal rights, not just in talking about uh, different uh, ethnic groups, but we're talking about equal in all aspects of male and female. Women can do everything a man can do as good and sometimes even better than a man can do. What is all that about? It's all about blurring the lines of what God created so there's no distinct differences between anything. What is the number one call right now in in society when it comes to, if you want to put it this way, religious sections of society, the religious area of society, when it comes to religion, what is the greatest call for things right now to be? They're calling out to let's just do away with our divisive differences. Let's just go ahead and eliminate the lines of denominational differences and let's all come together as one body and one people, one spiritual group. Let's do away with divisions. Listen, depending on how they put it, it sounds really good. We don't want divisive things causing issues between all of us. We want to be able to be united. Well, all that sounds really good, but here's what it means. Get rid of your doctrinal differences and just everybody accept everything and be okay with it. That is the the mantra of the generation today. Get rid of all definite lines. Get rid of all distinctions. And therefore, what you have here is the same thing is true even when it comes down to defining who Jesus is. Is he the only son of God? Is he the one and only son of God? Or is he the only begotten son of God? There is a distinct difference because if he's the one and only son, then I could not be one. But if he is the only begotten son of God from God himself, conceived of God himself versus adopted into the family. Jesus is God's only begotten son. I am his redeemed son. And so, and people say, well, that's just splitting hairs. Well, if it is, it's a pretty important hair to split. Because it gets very distinctive and very definitive as to what it is we're talking about. We have got to be careful with the blurring of the lines. The removing of distinctions. Because eventually you'll never even know what you got. Because you can't, make, you can't put a distinctive mark on it. It's just a big blob of nothingness. And that's what this world wants. Because when you, when you erase the chalkboard and get rid of all distinctiveness, all you have is a blank slate to create whatever you want to with it. And that's where society wants us today. And yes, I'm just being a little stubborn about it and stick with the distinctions. But here it is, whom he did foreknow, he had the knowledge, he already knew. But for those who would be saved, that he knew would be saved, he predestined those that would be saved, not that they are going to be saved, but what would happen because of salvation, they'd be conformed to the image of his son, that Jesus himself would be the firstborn among many brethren. Last verse for tonight, got to be done. Here it is. 
God's promised process in those saved by grace. Verse number 30. So now that we've confirmed it's predestined, not for salvation, but predestined as to what happens because of salvation. Now it comes into what he does by his promise for those who are saved by grace. Moreover, now that we have this group set aside, what group it? The group that has been saved and they are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, I'm going to try to give this to you very quickly. I mentioned last Wednesday that the word called in verse number 28 and the word called in verse number 30 is not the same word. It is in English, but when you look in the original tongue, the original language, uh, in, in the Greek, you look it up, you have two different words. In verse number 28, it's kletos, and that is uh, the idea of invited or appointed, uh, a specifically a saint, one who is called. In other words, it's descriptive of a child of God. Read verse number 28 again. And we know that all things uh, work together for, for good to them that love God, to them who are the called. The called. What is he saying? To them who are the saints of God. You are called. You have been brought into the family. By the way, um, no one gets saved that doesn't feel the calling and the drawing of, of the Spirit to truth. And they are drawn. They hear it. They understand it. They see it. They, they, and, and they desire it. And by the way, no one is going to receive salvation that doesn't feel that tug and that need to understand who they are, who, who Christ is and what he did and what they need, not of themselves, but of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That calling, that, that drawing uh, to truth and to salvation He's talking about there in verse number 28, he is defining that it's all for the saints. It's the saved child of God that knows that God works all things together for good according to his purpose. And a saint, the child of God, can rest assured in that. But in verse number 30, it's not mentioning the called as it is a body or the saints. It's mentioning what God does to those who already are saints. Okay, now here's the fun part. Verse number 30's, the, the word called is kaleo. And kaleo is to bid, call forth, or uh, the, whose surname is, okay, the, the called. So it's, what it's saying is to bid. Let me just give you this very quickly and understand. In verse number 30, we're dealing with, we already know who he's talking about. He's talking about those whom he foreknew would be saved. And because he knew those would be saved, he, he predestined what they would do, what they would need to do as a saved individual to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And so in the manner, manner of thinking of those individuals, those of us who are saved, who are called and predestined of God to be conformed to the image of His Son, listen to what He says. Moreover, this group whom He did predestinate to be saved, no, to be like Christ. He purposed us to be like Christ. We find our purpose 
in him. We find our purpose in his preeminence. And so therefore, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So how does he do it? Them whom he predestined, he, them he also called. This word call uh, simply means to bid, to draw in, not for salvation. It's a, hey, supper time. Hey, kids, come to the table. I'm ready to feed you some more. Hey, uh, like mall kettle. Come in, get it! Okay, but, that, that's, uh, that, that's what it is. He's, he's calling or bidding to come. I, I remind you over in uh, Revelation uh, 3 and, and verse number 20. I'm going to go there because I'm going to quote it wrong if I don't do it, okay? Uh, uh, so Re- Revelation 3, 20, uh, it, it talks, and of course, it's been talking to the churches. Think about that. He's talking to the churches in Revelation 3. He's challenging the churches, the, the seven different church groups. And he's challenging them. And in Revelation 3 and verse number 20, he's not, we use this sometimes in the area of giving the gospel. And it's, I don't think it's a, a bad verse to use because it, it does give a good picture of the Lord desiring someone to receive him into, into their, their heart and into their life to be their savior. But Revelation 3.20 is not talking to a lost person. Revelation 3.20 is Jesus himself speaking to the churches. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. What is that knocking? That knocking. He stands at the door and knocks. He's calling. Hey, <laughs> hey, child. Will you, hey, hey, I, I, I sure like to come in and fellowship. I'm calling you unto myself. You're mine. I've, I've predetermined that you, you should be, the Father has predetermined that you should be conformed into the image of his Son. And Christ is saying, that's me. Let's spend some time together so you can get to know what I look like. And so, there in Romans 8, verse number 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, them he also called. Come on and spend some time with me. Come on, child. Come dig in a little bit deeper. Come pray a little bit longer. Come get to know my son a little bit more through my word. You're predestined to be conformed to his image. It'd be a good thing to know what he looks like. And we're not talking about physical looks. We're talking about the aspects of the spirit of God. But he, them he also called, and whom he called? He didn't just say, hey, y'all, come on, get whatever you want. No, 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 he, already, he still has a purpose. Them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. He's like, listen, if you will just go ahead and open the door, I stand and knock. If you'll just go ahead and open the door, I'm calling to you. You're my child. I want to feed you. I want to nourish you. I want to help you. I want to teach you. But you got you to gotta get with me on this. But I'm calling, and if you'll just go ahead and follow, I've already got the prescription laid out. I, through my preeminence, am going to give you your entire purpose in life. Life, but you got to come with me. You got to follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Forsaking all, uh, following him. We have to actually take on the challenge to follow him who is calling us 
as a loving father. Because he's already predetermined what he wants to do. He's already predetermined how it's going to be done. And he's bidding us to come with him that he might follow the process that he's already predetermined through his preeminence that he will justify and he will glorify, making us more and more like Christ. And I've gone entirely too long, but that was fun. We still have verse number 31 through 39 to do. I don't know we'll get it done in one shot. But it won't be next Wednesday. It'll maybe be the next. But church, may I challenge you. God knew, still knows, all that are going to receive Christ as their Savior. And he's already predetermined what it is he desires out of every single child of God. And he already knows that he's not put it on us to do on our own, but he has actually already got the process and he's bidding us, calling the called. You're a saint and now he calls. Can I come in today? Can we fellowship today? Can I teach you a little bit more today? Because I've already got the prescription of what it is that you're supposed to become as a child of God. I want to show you what that is and how to get there. I want to show you the roadmap of God's predetermined purpose for your life as his child. Uh, we just got to be willing to uh, open the door and accept the call to fellowship with him. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for tonight. Thank you. For